Okay, welcome back everybody to another episode of Let's Talk Synesthesia. And I have another amazing guest, someone that I found over Instagram, like most people, to be honest. <laughs> um, here with me is today Mariam Le... No, Mariam Delacroix. Delacroix, exactly. Delacroix. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everybody, my name is Mariam Delacroix and I am a French synesthetic artist and i am living in italy right now amazing where in italy are you based i am based in padua which is in the northern italy next to venice we're gonna have a conversation today about basically your life because your synesthesia story started very very early and there were some very interesting aspects of your story that made me feel like we definitely have to share this story so I think yeah today's conversation will be a bit like traveling through your biography let's say okay well my synesthesia story actually started very very early in my life because I am what they call a very small talker even when I was a child because I started speaking when I was maybe three or four years old so before that I used to express myself through colors So when I was in kindergarten, for example, I started uh, to use yellow to say I was nauseous or uh, green to say I was hungry or red to say I had a headache or uh, I was hungry. That is just so fascinating. I mean, we spoke about it before, but so I know what I'm going to ask, but I think you have to explain to us what cards because I imagine like highly full color postcards but that was not the case like you as a kindergarten kid you didn't have access to to anything as sophisticated as that no I didn't I I actually had to uh, create myself these cards so I used some uh, white sheets and then I just painted them the way I could and even the shapes of them had uh, a meaning For example, when I had a headache, uh, the color was red, but actually it was like many circles on this page. Or for example, when I was angry or hungry, which is sometimes the same, (laughs) um, I used to put uh, some really uh, straight shapes of red on the page. So that was was what I used to express myself through colors and shapes when I was a little child because I couldn't speak. I didn't know how to speak, but that was my language, you know. I mean, a big question here is, did teachers and parents understand? No, they didn't. I might say that my uh, little friends actually understood better than teachers and than that my parents uh, didn't because it's amazing to see how children try to communicate between themselves without any, you know, hesitation, without any different thoughts, or maybe what I usually say is the adult thoughts, which are something very limited because they, uh, they don't understand how children try to express themselves. Otherwise, for example, they just use words in the adulthood, but they don't understand how uh, many other um, expressions can be uh, as useful as language. Sounds like a really tricky time, like not being able to communicate, seeing others being able to get what they want and like being accommodated, being, I don't know, held when they have pain, fed when they are hungry. And like you didn't have that access to your your parents and teachers support glad to hear that the kids understood it but still what did your what did your parents do did they send you to like every test diagnostic whatever or what were they quite relaxed about you not speaking oh uh, well they just thought I was strange you know a weird child um so I hadn't haven't been tasted since I was 25 years, 26 years old, sorry. And I have been diagnosed with synesthesia when I was an adult. But um, I have been tasted for my migraines and for some uh, headaches, issues I had when I was a child. So I had the occasion to speak with some neurologists and they understood the way I expressed myself. 
So they actually try to understand and uh, explain to other people, for example, to my parents, how I express my feelings without words. That's amazing. But that's a really, really good part of your story because on this podcast and also the synesthetes I speak to, there's quite a lot of misdiagnosis, missing the right thing from doctors. And then it's often more the parents that are like, no, I know I'm going to find out what this is. But it's actually really reassuring that those doctors were, they really understood what was going on. Do you have any, any memory of that? Uh, yes, I do. The first memories I have I actu- are actually uh, of frustration mm-hmm. because I felt different from other from other children. I also felt different from my brother, uh, which has the same age as mine, more or less. So the first thing I remember is that school has been such a hell for me. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't understand lessons, I didn't understand how to make and how to uh, finish the tests I had to do. It was a real mess. I can say that without any um, any issue, it was a mess. So then you turned like three or four, and you started speaking. So when you went to primary school, you were able to express yourself verbally. Did you still use your cards, or not anymore? Uh, yes, I did. I use them uh, in a different way even now because um, through all my life I used to express myself through colors and uh, now, for example, when I feel uh, in a certain way, I use uh, different colors on my dress dresses, for example. So I dress up in uh, red, in uh, yellow, in uh, uh, blue, in other colors connecting myself to what I wear and to what I want to say to other people through this. So that actually never ended. That's amazing. It's part of you and part of your story. So you said school was really hard. And I think that was not only because you you struggled um, expressing yourself. Your synesthesia also made school quite tricky for you in other ways. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> um, one of the big issues I have lived in school uh, was that I saw colors on letters and on numbers. So when I learned to read or when I, you know, uh, did maths, I saw colors on everything, on every single line, you know, every single word, every single number. And uh, that was very difficult for me because uh, I was very, very distracted by that. And so I am still bad in maths, I have to say. So maybe the worst part for me was uh, uh, math and chemistry and everything number connected. Yeah. Even because since I started to, you know, I used to write from uh, right to left. I, I do it. Uh, I do it as well now, right now. I feel better writing this way. So when I have to write something to be understood by other people, I write fr- from left to right. When I have to write something for myself, for example, my books, uh, my notes, everything which is strictly mine, I write from right to left. What? I'm mind blown. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and do. that's easier. It's easier. Oh my to God. To read. Yeah. I have to try <laughs> that right now. So you still use the same hand? Uh, I have, uh, I use both hands. What? Okay, and then you start at the right end of your page, and then... Yeah. But do you also... So you start at the last letter of the word? Uh, No, I actually... You know, if you write a normal book text with your hands, and then you just turn it on the other side, so you put it on the other... On front, it becomes the the, the back of the page, and that's the way I, I write. So I don't start from the last letter... I actually start from the first letter. For example, if I have to write cat, I also I still write C-A-T, but I start from the right. Sorry, because I'm not very, very good at uh, understanding <laughs> which one is the left and the right as well. So you, you, you write cat and then you jump mm-hmm. to the left and then you put the next word and then you would read from right to left instead of left to right. 
Yes. So like Arabic. Exactly. Okay. Yes, yes, it is the same. Okay, so the sentence is mirrored, but the word isn't. Well, that's mind-blowing to me. And uh, maybe this is something that may look strange, but I have been diagnosed with uh, dyslexia. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I don't know if this is the correct pronunciation in English. And uh, Dyslexia, yeah. And I am actually uh, dyslexic when I write from uh, the correct way so from left to right like every single people but when I write my way yeah I am not I write perfectly without any any fault any any issue <gasps> that is such yeah. a good example of how we are only disabled in a certain environment like you're perfectly functioning in your own way but as as long as we say that's the that's the way to do it that's correct you would be labeled as having a learning disability exactly that's so interesting so when did you get that diagnosis as a child already uh no uh, when i've been diagnosed with the synesthesia when i was 26 i've been then diagnosed with every other single uh thing i know now so my my life was pretty hard before just because i didn't understand why i was different from other people and why other people were so good in doing things uh, for me were so hard wow just doing things differently is uh it takes a lot of i know we have to be really brave to just do the things the way we think they work for us and yeah uh, I think uh, I had no options. Yeah. So I actually had to do everything without, you know, uh, even considering myself brave or strong or anything. I, I actually consider myself uh, a little more stupid than any other one because of that. Why uh, your friends can do that and why you can't? You're just stupid. Mm -hmm. Why you don't understand this? Uh -huh. And so on. So... Um, I used to think uh, life was harder for me just because I was not smart. I am so happy of being a full-time artist and uh, uh, having the opportunity to talk about my synesthesia and, uh, you know, making people aware that everyone is different. Yeah, let's look at like the second half of your life so far. You started to work in a very different career as an accountant after um after school and yeah tell us a bit about that because you were again seemingly different to your colleagues and you did work differently than expected many people left uh, in a good way when they get to know that i have been an accountant for 20 years before becoming uh, an artist you know uh it was not a bad job for me uh, because this kind of job doesn't require you to have uh, some uh, good, you know, uh, understanding of math because the computer does everything for you based on uh, calculations and so on. So what I had to do actually was to understand the logic behind what I had to do and then tell the computer to do it for me and uh, it was a good job for me because I see logic with colors so when there was something to do I had to uh, put on my you know to visualize my the little uh, pieces of colors which had to be uh, put together to finish the job so that it was the way I used to do that and I was actually really quick and good at this job because I used to work eight hours a day the you know they required me to work eight hours a day but I usually ended my job in four hours incredible because I was very quick yeah I, I didn't uh, you know realize that before being diagnosed with synesthesia I just thought I was you know like some kind of a genius who used colors to put things together but then I I realized that uh, maybe it was thanks to my synesthesia that I could do that this quick and this good. That's incredible. So people must have been really jealous of the way you did it. 
uh, well, they they were not jealous, but uh, they were pretty curious. Nice uh, to know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I actually had to explain them. Uh, I've tried many times to explain myself this way, how I could do this job so quick without men making any faults, you know. Yeah, I mean, they uh, might have but... not said that they're jealous, but I'm getting jealous, even though I'm not an accountant right now. <laughs> Doing the same work in half the time <laughs> sounds yeah. very convenient. <laughs> more time for napping, more time for, I don't know, whatever. Exactly for online shopping exactly <laughs> bigger lunch breaks for you no that's that's really yeah. cool so you really used your colors in every aspect of your life because there was no way not to do it they were just so prominent so much part of your perception it's not something you could sensor my next question would have been the diagnosis process who gave you the diagnosis and what was it like because i feel like your life more than that of other people was really built around colors and hearing that there is a neurological trait or a condition that describes everything you felt must have been like mind-blowing so what was that what was that like at 26 Oh, well, um, it's a, a really beautiful story for me because I have been diagnosed through a test where I was working as an accountant because uh, in Italy, sometimes they have to do some tests to their workers just to know, you know, they're fine, everything like that. So my test turned out uh, a quite different from uh, uh, other people's tests. And so they said, you have to come with us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And uh, uh, we made some additional tests and then they discovered uh, I have uh, synesthesia. I have some difficulties in saying that in English because I don't know how it's called, but uh, it's that machine, it's a machine in which you are put in and then they, they scan, scan your brain and then you get out. So uh, I don't remember the name. So when they came back with the results, they told me I have synesthesia. They said what was synesthesia. And uh, the first thing I, I said was, so you are telling me that you don't see music? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they started laughing. But I, I, I was shocked because I thought that everyone, you know, could see scents or they could taste perfumes and, uh, and so on. Yeah. That was quite shocking for me. And the set, second thing I thought was, oh my God, I have, I have a superpower. <laughs> I'm like an X-Man now. <laughs> Some kind of a Peter Parker of the senses, you know. <laughs> Do you still feel like that? Do you still feel like it's a superpower? Oh, well, um, now for me, quite normal knowing I have synesthesia but other people make me see make me feel like that so uh, they make me feel like I have a real superpower because uh, through uh, my social medias through my work through a lot of things they come to know me and they actually say wow that's amazing you can see music mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is rare and special. Um, I just struggle with saying it's a superpower personally. But I mean, if if other people say they, they feel like it's a superpower, I can I can totally see that. You know, for me, uh, it's uh, very difficult to have synesthesia when I am, uh, you know, on social activities or uh, when I have to go out from, you know, my little home. So uh, I like to say I have a superpower. It makes people laugh. But there are many things that are actually very hard to, to live with. For example, uh, sound to me is something which makes me feel bad um, with my body. Uh, I suffer. I physically suffer when I hear a sound which is aggressive for me. Yeah. And so, you know, when I go out, to me, is a, a sensory overload. Absolutely. I'm not joking. It's really... Yeah, I can see that. I think we really just have to look at synesthesia 
in i mean i said it before but just in a neutral way of yeah this is just a non-variant of the brain and it has good parts and bad parts and a lot of neutral parts and it's just who we are um so yeah i agree with that it just comes with good and bad stuff and it also makes it hard to yeah go to events go like city centers are quite tricky for me as well what are other parts that are really tricky for you uh smell yeah because i can see a smell yeah and so it's always the same thing i i have some difficulties in going out where are many people especially in summer <laughs> okay so like sweaty sweaty people are a struggle yeah. mm. uh but even food you know so uh, in summer smells and scents are uh stronger maybe for you know the heat the heat yeah and so uh i i can see them better and stronger than uh, for example uh, in uh, in spring or in winter absolutely so what does a sweaty person look like like what does the smell look like or is it very individual oh uh actually it's not very individual uh because it's a a very particular scent Mm. or smell yeah (laughs) and uh it's yellow with um blue stripes oh okay and uh i can I, i can even touch it uh, when I touch it, it's like touching um, uh, the bones of a fish. Uh, I don't know oh. how to say it in English. Um, I also don't know. Everybody knows. Okay, but, everybody yeah. knows what the bones of a fish are. <laughs> <laughs> Two non-English natives talking. <laughs> exactly. So, but how can you touch it? Like, how does it? How does it appear in your I... in your space? Where is it? I feel it under my uh, my fingers, and even if I am not moving my hands, I feel it moving in my fingers, and I, I feel it as well on my um, on my chest, my chest and on my neck. That feeling of uh, the fish bones moving uh, on my skin. So this is the smell of uh, a sweaty person. That's astonishing. Okay, so we have a stimulus. In this case, it's sweat, the smell of sweat. Then this is translated into colors and shapes. But you can also... Are the fish bones, are those the blue stripes? Uh, Not really. I don't think they're related. No, no, it's just... uh, um... You know, sometimes I have uh, feelings which are similar on the colors, but they're not similar in touch. It depends on many uh, elements, I guess. Okay. So if we are talking in forms of synesthesia, which Joel Salinas explained to us is not really what we have to do, but if we speak in forms, um, one stimulus would provoke a third reaction. So you have a smell and you you perceive the smell like everybody else well not everybody but most people then the second reaction would be that you associate colors and forms with it and you see them and the third reaction would be that you can um feel the smell on your fingers and your chest and there's the sound as well uh i uh, I knew, I understood, people told me, you know, neurologists and so on, that I have a really strong form of uh, synesthesia, which actually makes my sense work all together. So it's not an, uh, unusual for me to, um, to experience many feelings at a time. So for example, uh, there's a sound as well of this sense, and the sound is like a, a very far part car with the engine mm. uh, on so this brum, brum, yeah brum, this is the sound of smelly people
yeah, it's really overwhelming because I experience many senses together. Yeah, they're absolute, like, it sounds like an absolute senses blur. Like, one yeah. stimulus just activates, like, every sense you have. Yes. I didn't know that. Wow. How do you do life? <laughs> That's... <gasps> it's not the the very the real question is how did I do life? But because after my diagnosis, I said okay, now I have to watch myself in another light. Yeah. But before, I I live like any other person I knew. I didn't have synesthesia. Yeah. So that was the hard part. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I can't, but. <laughs> I can see that there is really a a, a change in your storyline after you found out what it is. Um, so I guess you were really tired, burned out. Yeah, I actually struggled with uh, depression, yeah. uh, stomach pain, yeah. um, anxiety. Um, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it in English, but uh, I had, you know, this... Uh, problem in which I ate a lot and then I didn't eat for many days and then I ate again and um, mm. that was really struggling as well because uh, as I had a stomach ache uh, that broke me to many other uh, problems mm -hmm. issues wow but every time someone tells me like an extreme synesthesia story I'm like hmm that might teach me something about myself because it's, I still haven't figured it out completely. <laughs> so I'm really interested to, to see what I will uh, realize after we process this conversation. I think there are many aspects I can relate to, especially being like burned out, depressed, um, having anxiety and stomach problems. I had a lot of stomach pain throughout my whole life because I did not know I was actually just overstimulated and trying to suppress everything that didn't seem normal so how is your stomach today it's very good same <laughs> um yeah very well <laughs> uh but uh, for example, this is something uh, people uh, which are near to me know, for example, my friends, my boyfriend and so on, uh, is that uh, when we go out to eat dinner, for example, at the restaurant, we have to choose a restaurant which has really low light, mm -hmm. uh, no music, no um, strong uh, sound, not many people. Because when I hear sound, I hear a loud sound, I can't eat. Yeah. I used, I used to. I used to eat with loud sounds and so on. But that broke me to have a part of these uh, stomach issues. Exactly. Um, which is something I don't have anymore. Yeah. I, I, I knew myself when I had been diagnosed. Yeah. I think it's the... It's now more a question of, is that dinner wor worth it to just have pain for the next day or two? Or can we make it work in a way that I will feel still good after everybody's going home? Like how much, how big is the price I have to pay for this, uh, for this outing, right? I yeah, I, I just, you know, stopped uh, going out in places that make me uh, feel bad. Yeah. That was my decision. And uh, I have to say that a lot of people understood what I meant and uh, my needs. So I have to consider myself very lucky because I have a lot of good people around me that can understand my feelings and, uh, you know, my issues as well. Yeah. And it's also been nine years already since you got your diagnosis. So that's quite a good amount of time to figure out how, how to do life with this new gained information about yourself. But I'm really so glad you're telling this story because so I'm, I'm working as a psychological coach for synesthetes and I feel like 
sometimes I'm lacking good examples for why it is actually necessary to have that kind of service for synesthetes because of that like superpower association, I guess, because in reality, it just is not just that. It, it is really hard to, in reality, it is actually quite difficult to maintain a social life and a work life when you have those extraordinary perception experiences and I mean that is what coaching for me is about like hearing someone tell me how they struggle in daily life and how they feel weird and strange and childish about it how they not feel like an adult because they have to have some certain accommodations and they're not even as clear as maybe autism accommodations would be they're even quote-unquote stranger because they involve colors <laughs> and and shapes so I'm very grateful for you to to share your story did you have any therapists psychologists or coaches to talk about that or did you just figure it out by yourself um, I, I figured out by myself I am actually a very strong person and uh, that's that is maybe because I had a very difficult life, especially before the diagnosis. So uh, actually, um, I didn't need any psychologist, but it's just because I have been uh, diagnosed in uh, late mm -hmm. life. <laughs> we can say because it's really late to be diagnosed at uh, 26 years old with uh, synesthesia, dyslexia, and uh, dyspraxia, and yeah. so on. Um, but uh, you know, I I even didn't know that I could find a, psych a psychologist uh, to talk about that. So maybe in uh, in the past, if I had this uh, opportunity, I would take it. Yeah, of course I would take it. I don't think there are that many, to be honest. When I was looking four years ago, it was really difficult to find something. Now that the world is more connected and there are more like virtual online services, I think. Um, we are there support is here um, but yeah I think like nine years ago I, I'm not sure how much um, you would have found like in your town especially I don't think there are psychologists in my town right now yeah. they can be you know helpful with that so I am very happy to know that there are, you know, outside in the world, people like you that can help people, other people uh, to understand themselves and to, you know, you know uh, live a, a normal life or try to. Yeah. Anybody interested, <laughs> please <laughs> check out my website, mykepricing.com. Uh, it's in the show notes anyways. Um, yeah, I offer coaching. I'm a psychologist and, and yeah, it's for, it's just a safe space for synesthetes basically and families. Um, so now we go to the next chapter of your life, which was becoming a full-time artist. I mean, I guess it was a process. You didn't start as a full-time artist, but you are one now and the aspect I'm especially interested in is life painting. Um, I'm really interested to hear more about the process. But yeah, maybe just tell us a bit about your day-to-day -day now as a synesthesia artist. I used to paint and uh, draw a lot since I was a child, as you know. So it wasn't uh, hard for me to become an artist, to try to uh, you know experience many styles, many techniques and so on to finally find my my way to express myself because as a synesthetic artist I I only only express uh, synesthesia and that happens uh, through you know uh, painting uh, canvas in my studio but also through performances. So for example, uh, I really love doing live performances because people can uh, you know, participate, can see how the process works and how we can start from a, a white canvas to actually see a scent or music or uh, you know, a sound or uh, anything else. So the transposition from something which is not visual into something visual. For example, in my live performances, I usually um, 
paint uh, songs. So I actually uh, have a, a live playing music live while I paint music they're playing. Yeah. But uh, I also painted the taste of a wine. For example, I had a performance in a, a winery in uh, in Verona. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I had the perfect, you know, uh, alibi to drink some wine without <laughs> uh, any issue. That was for my job, you know, <laughs> a sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> And then, for example, I also painted uh, the scent of a, of a flower in a fair, you know, with you know, it was a, a wedding fairs or something. So, so uh, something really very romantic with flowers, with uh, white dresses. It was really cool. And uh, many people stopped to see the performance, which actually was maybe two or three hours. Really? To finish the painting yeah oh my yeah. god so that was for the flower yeah the scent of a flower because they had this uh romantic story about that kind of flower which was a, a camellia yeah. and they wanted to show people how this flower could be seen in another way so how they could see the scent of this flower because in the area uh, they uh, put the scent of the flower so everyone who came there could actually smell it and then they came in the in the end in the in the end of the of the area and they found also how to see the smell wow i love that can you can you tell me a bit more about the process so you uh, okay okay yeah you take the flower you smell it I think you have noise cancelling headphones on so you don't get any distraction. Um, and then you see you see the scent and then you have your canvas there and your paint and then you just go back to the flower every now and then. But how does it take to an, two or three hours? Sorry, I'm, I don't want to sound oh, ignorant. Well. I'm just curious. <laughs> no, no, of course. It, um, I, I always forget talk about the practical uh, aspect just because uh, I forget to you know to that people may uh, be uh, yeah. curious about it as well yeah. how it works actually uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I bring all my colors all my canvas everything I, I need to uh, yeah. paint and then I uh, start smelling for example the camellia so I had the flower I had some scent of the flower to have a stronger perception of it just because um, I don't know if you ever of course you did enter any Sephora or anything else in which you can smell many perfumes after a few minutes you can't smell anything because your nose just loses the perception yes. of it so that was really hard for me at the end because uh, even if I had my nose cancelling headphones because I should never hear something else or percept some anything else other than what I have to paint, I felt that I was uh, I have been overstimulated at mm. the end of it because I had to concentrate so yeah. much on something like a smell and visualizing it which is really the, the easiest part is visualizing it because it's automatic you don't have to you know uh, concentrate on that but my uh, my body my nose have been overstimulated by by this at, at the end of it I had this I had the flower I had scent and uh, I started painting it so I smelled it then I put it down and I brushed the canvas maybe one two or three brushes then I had to uh, smell it again it's like you know uh, when you try to draw something mm -hmm. you have to look many times at the subject mm -hmm. it's not because you don't know how the subject is but because you have to uh, see every single particular of the subject every single detail mm -hmm. to put it on your page your, on your canvas you know so it's the same I see the subject, it's really easy to see the subject, but you may forget some details when you turn your head on the other way. And so you have to look at it again to draw it. It's the same, but it's just a smell or a sound or a taste. 
That's really interesting. Thanks for explaining that. I think the difference between you and I here is that it's not as detailed for me. So I think, yeah, there are just not that many details and it's quite easy to remember and therefore also maybe easier. To... Well, no, I'm not that sure anymore. Maybe I should pay more attention to the details. Maybe with, uh, you know, some meditation, you will something True. else but uh, I, I think you know more than me about that so uh, let me know if you see other details in the future which would be really interesting I really like the idea of uh, of painting a smell or a taste I think I'm going to try that a very good excuse to drink a glass of wine <laughs> oh, and yes, to buy some flowers and, and paint a smell so can we talk about music though? Because now, like you said, the smell will stay the same and the taste of a wine will stay the same, but a song is evolving over time and it's like three, four minutes of, it just changes so, so much. And I personally really struggle putting one song into one image. And I think a lot of synesthesia artists do struggle with that. So can you tell us a bit about the process, how you did paint music in the past, how you do it today and, and how you get that feeling of satisfaction of, yeah, that actually looks like my mental image? I, I guess music is one of the hardest things to paint, actually, in synesthesia, because uh, it's something which uh, moves in time and you have to, you know, uh, freeze it in one single uh, canvas, so it's not easy at all. I used to paint music in a way, and then I change it because it's not easy to express what I see when seconds flow, you know, because every second, every millisecond has a color, has a shape, has many colors in it, has many shapes in it, and you have to capture one single frame at a time and try to bring it on the canvas. So. Uh, it's really 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 difficult i used to paint music uh with every single frame like it was you know uh, a movie on the canvas so there were every single frame with every single color we changed but at the end people didn't understand that so i practiced a lot uh, painting music and then uh, I studied some uh, synesthetic artists as well like for example Kandinsky which was an artist who painted music he went you know to operas he went to listen to music in theaters and then he came back home and he started painting music the way he saw it while he was listening to it so he used the shapes of every single instrument and he put them mm -hmm. on the canvas so it was something less complicated to understand for other people mm -hmm. i guess because you say this is the sound of uh, the guitar for example this is the sound of the piano and people could recognize the shape of the sound uh, in what he uh, explained on his um, yeah. paintings so I, I started myself doing that uh, of course the technique and the perception is really different but I know uh, understood how to uh, make people understand <laughs> the way I see it. So I paint the sound of the, of the voice singer, for example, and then uh, on another part, I paint the sound of the guitar and uh, maybe uh, with electronic music is even different, but every single instrument has its place on the mm -hmm. canvas. And uh, it's important to know that there is as much color as much is important the instrument or the voice in that particular song. So if I have a lot of voice, there will be a lot of color of the voice on the canvas. Uh, differently, if it is something very instrumental, like, for example, some electronic music, there will be a lot of electronic music and maybe just some little dots of the mm -hmm. voice. If there are just single parts, you know, mm -hmm. sung just a little. It depends on the, on the song, of course. Great. Yeah, no, it does sound, well, what does it sound like? It sounds complicated 
And I'm glad you're explaining how difficult it actually is and how you have to find your way to to do it. Because my impression so far was that for other synesthesia artists, it's just really easy. They just do it. Like they see it, they do it. And I think for a scent or a taste, I can really see how that, like my other forms of synesthesia, I can also do it really easily. But for a song, something that evolves over time, it's just really tricky. So I'm glad you you agree <laughs> that that's more of a skill to acquire than, yeah. So what do you enjoy painting the most? Feelings, uh, which are not emotions, but are uh, feelings like touch and uh, smell. So they put together. I am really passionate about rain, about storms, <gasps> and uh, about not only the sound of them, but even uh, the smell, yeah. for example. I oh love my God, painting. I love... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, for example, after it, it rains, I, I go out in my garden with my canvas and my uh, brushes and my colors and I start painting what I smell and it depends even on the temperature because uh, a spring storm is quite different from a summer yeah. storm I love and, that uh, I, I really love painting yeah yeah oh gosh that's amazing I'm really passionate about yeah. rain. <laughs> my god are you passionate about the sun yeah, the scent, the touch, uh, even uh, the sound. But I'm really interested to hear if you enjoy being in the sun because I love being in the rain. No, I don't. But sun yeah. and heat is sensory hell for me. It's way too much. It's Yeah, it's overwhelming. I don't like the sun. Uh, I like the sun only if I am, you know, at the, at the sea. So in the beach, I love the sun because I can go in the water, but it's the only way I can love sun. Yeah. In daily life, it's just uh, awful. It makes me... Mm. In daily life, sun and like high temperature yeah. is just awful. It makes me feel so exhausted. Yeah, I, I, I can't even, you know, uh, do some basic reasoning when uh, I am in the sun because um my eyes ache my skin ache and it's not you know sun which is hot and uh, warm and uh other people are not bothered by it it's the perception of it the light the uh, the aggressiveness i may say of what we experience when we go out and there is a, such a hot and warm sun maybe in, for example in summer or late spring oh, i completely agree aggressiveness I think is the perfect way to describe it I I always feel like the sun is screaming down at me screaming is the correct <laughs> word for that. right oh my god but it's I don't screaming. hear it yeah. but it's like it looks at me wherever I go it's just this screaming fireball <laughs> um <laughs> And yeah, it's too bright. So it's too bright for my eyes and it's too hot for my skin. Yeah, you know, it's just on many levels. The sun is screaming. I, I think this will be my next tattoo. <laughs> Love it. Actually, when I started making synesthesia art, one of my very first designs was trying to express how I feel about the sun. I'm going to send it to you later. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very, very glad to have found a rain buddy and anti-sun buddy in you. Feel very understood today. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I think we're gonna wrap it up soon. Is there anything left? Any announcements you wanna make? anything you want to share oh well um i just wrote a book <gasps> and <laughs> that's an announcement <laughs> yeah yes it is i started writing it uh, a lot of years ago but then i stopped because i had to do you know yeah life <laughs> but then <laughs> i took it back and uh, i finished it and uh, it's about uh, you know spirituality and about my life when I was 
I wasn't diagnosed with synesthesia. And then uh, my other life, when I understood myself and I understood people around me. That's amazing. So where can people find it? For the moment, actually, it's going to be only in Italian because it's, uh, you know, uh, a new book. And I will try, uh, I will translate it in English uh, in a few months, I hope. Uh, it will be available on Amazon. So maybe this will be, uh, you know, easier for yeah. people to get it. Cool. So I will link your Instagram account and people can go find you and hunt down your book. Thank you. Amazing. Okay, well, congrats so much on finishing your book. That's really exciting. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure to hear your story and to learn just so much about what it's like to be a synesthesia artist and a kid that can't speak but has to express themselves in some way. Thank you for taking us on the journey, which is your biography. <laughs> thanks to you and uh, uh, this is something uh, I wanted to say when I met you uh, thank you for what you do for people like us because it's really important to feel understood and to you know uh, know there there's there's a way out thank you Mariam that's so nice I'm so glad we met I'm sending you a big big hug to Padua in Italy and speak soon Take care. Bye. And thank you to everyone for listening to this. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> and don't forget to um, follow. And what, 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 what are the things? Share. Share the episode. Oh, and give a five-star rating, please, on Spotify. Much appreciated. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank Bye. you, Mariam. Bye. You've been listening to Let's Talk Synesthesia. There will be a new episode of Series 1 every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, you can like, follow and share. Details about the podcast and how to connect with today's speakers can be found in the show notes. The executive producer was Micah Pricing, with music by Corinne Anderson, and the podcast was supported by a couple more neurodivergent people in the background. See you next week.